because that's the rule of Habakkuk. And so far in our series, we've underscored the importance of crying out to God. Um, the first sermon I remember we preached, I emphasized how important it is for us to cry out to God, that if you are a Christian, if you are a righteous person, it is not only proper, it is not only right for you to cry out to God, but it is necessary for godly people to cry out to God in this broken world. It's necessary. It's a necessary thing. So if in my first sermon I, I emphasized the importance of crying out to God, then in the second sermon we understood that God does respond to the cries of the saints. God does respond to the cries of his saints. And in the third sermon, um, Brother Kevin preached, and he emphasized how important it is for us to look to God, for us to address God. It is, it is God who we are addressing. So if we emphasize all those in the, the past three sermons, then this sermon highlights the importance of waiting on God. Okay? This sermon emphasizes how important it is for us to wait on God. Before we begin, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, I pray for the hearers. I ask that you would please speak to each and every one of us. Address us, Lord, in the only way, in the way in which you know how. I pray that I would be faithful to um, expound your word and explaining your word. And I just pray that you would allow the arrows to go where it pleases, Father. I ask that you would instruct us and allow us to be conformed to your word. Allow our minds to be renewed accordingly. We ask you all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk chapter 2. We're going to be reading from verses 2 to 20. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 to 20. But before we begin, I want to ask you a question. First, you and I, we understood that Habakkuk cried out to God. He cried out to God, saying, Oh Lord, how long will you allow injustice to go on in this land? How long will you allow your people to sin against you, O oh Lord? And then God responds to Habakkuk by saying, no, Habakkuk, I'm not going to allow this injustice to go on in this land. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to respond to this injustice. And I'm going to punish my people. But you know the way in which I'm going to punish the people? I'm going to raise up a nation, an evil nation, Babylon. And I'm going to raise up that nation to punish my people. Whoa. 
the third sermon, or the second time that Habakkuk responds to God, he's like, okay, God, you solved that dilemma. But honestly, now I'm even more confused. Yes, you're going to judge the people, but you're going to use a, an, an evil nation to punish my people? Oh, Lord, you are, your eyes are too pure to see this. Why would you allow an evil nation? Why would you use an evil nation to punish your people? They're more evil than your people. So that's what we left off last week. That's what we left off last week. God's response to Habakkuk's first cry by saying, I'm going to punish the people by using an evil nation. Now, last week, Habakkuk cries out back out to God. And he says, God, wait a minute. You're using an evil nation to punish the people? Before we get into this text, I want to ask you a question. And I don't know if you could see it from here. But I want to ask you a question. Do you trust God's wisdom? Do you believe that if God says, I am going to do something a particular way, do you trust in his wisdom? Do you trust that God knows exactly what he's doing? Do you think that somehow there's something that God missed? I want you to, I want to ask you that question. Because even before we get into the passage, I want us to cling on, hang on to the fact that God could be trusted. You see, with Job, God didn't really provide an answer for Job, did he? In the end. Because after Job suffered all that, after he went through all that suffering, you know what God said? God looked at Job and he said, Look, Job, who created the stars? Who created the sun? Who created the moon? Were you there when I created the sun? Were you there when I feed? When I, are you there when I'm feeding all the lions? Are you there? Surely you know because, you, you're, you, I mean, you're Job. What he's saying to Job is this. Look, Job, I am wise. I am the all-wise God. I know exactly what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. So I want to ask you a question, friends. As we are in the midst of our trials, as we are in the midst of our suffering, can you trust in God's wisdom? Can you bank on that? Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 to 20. Let's read. And the Lord answered me, Make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright with him. But the righteous shall live by faith. 
Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects his own people. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loathes himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. For the blood of men and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. He's talking about Babylon. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that the people labor merely for fire and the nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbor drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourselves and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beast that terrified them. For the blood of men and violence of the earth to the cities and to all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in his own creation. When he makes speechless idols, woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. So here's the answer. Essentially what God says is this. Habakkuk, yes, you're right. I am using an evil nation. I am using an evil nation to fulfill my purposes. But you know what? Right after I'm done using this evil nation to punish my people, I'm going to punish this evil nation for punishing my people. Wow. Whoa. God says, look, I'm going to use this evil nation to punish my people. And after I'm done, 
I'm going to punish this evil nation for punishing my people. There's something called the sovereignty of God, meaning that God has control over all. And we've studied that already. We've studied the fact that God has control. And we studied that in my past, when, when, I, when I preached uh, the second sermon, I emphasized the fact that God has control over all. He has control over even the enemy. That he can even tell Satan, hey, Satan, where did you come from? Do this. You can touch, you can touch his, his, you can touch, um, touch his riches, you can touch his possessions, but don't touch his health. Did, Job, did Satan touch his health? No. It's only the second time when God says, yes, you can touch his health, but don't lay your hands on his life. Satan did everything, but he didn't touch his life. God has control even over the darkness. He has control even over the enemy, and that should give us comfort. We should be happy that God, that, that, that nothing escapes God's plan. That even in the midst of this dark world, even in the midst of this suffering, even in the midst of this mess, somehow God is working it out to his good purposes. Praise God. Praise God that nothing catches him off guard, that he orchestrates all events for his glory. But then we understand that even though God is in control of everything, human beings are 100% responsible and accountable to their actions. The Bible says in James that God is not the author of evil. God does not tempt anyone to evil. God can orchestrate things to make it fulfill his purpose, but it doesn't mean that he actually does evil. No, that is not true. Human beings are 100% accountable to their actions. Meaning, when God was raising up this nation called Babylon... Babylon was getting hyped. They were getting excited. Like, oh man, look at me. I'm Babylon the Great. I'm about to kill these people. We're about to destroy Judah. And we're going to see this later on. Nebuchadnezzar, was look, was look, Nebuchadnezzar, one day he would look around the city. He's like, look at this Babylon that I have created. He would get so excited. They would get so proud. They would get so arrogant because they would think, look, look at what I've done. Not understanding, not knowing that their victory came from God. That the reason why they were victorious was because God actually allowed it to happen. But they got hyped. They got proud. They were arrogant. And watch this. God is going to hold them accountable, 100% accountable to their actions. There's three things that I want us to see in this passage that God highlights. Three things that we want to see. Number one. The description of their sins. Number one, the description of their sins. God goes through, through lengths in describing the sinfulness of these people. It's almost as if Habakkuk cries out to God and he says, God, you're using this evil nation? And God's like, look, Habakkuk, you want me to tell you about evil? I know exactly what they've done. And I'm going to tell you right now. Let's read this. Verse 4. He says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, 
but the righteous shall live by faith. What is he doing here? He says, behold, he's describing their sins. He's, he's this addressing a sin called pride. He's addressing, number one, a sin called pride. He said his soul is puffed up. His soul is not upright within him. This is another way of saying that he is arrogant. He is proud. He has lifted his head high. He commends himself in his accomplishments, not knowing that it was God who secured his victory. As we mentioned earlier, Daniel chapter 4, verse 30, Nebuchadnezzar's pride was revealed when he says, look at this Babylon that I have created. They were arrogant. They were like, yes, let's kill these people, and we are doing it because our gods are with us. They probably they didn't give praise to Yahweh. They thought their gods were with them. They thought they themselves perhaps were gods. Huh. So he addresses their pride. He addresses also their drunkenness. Look, it says, verse 5, it says, Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. What does it mean? He says, the wine is a traitor. The wine makes you believe something that is not true. Now, when someone is under the influence of alcohol, their judgment is impaired. They believe something about something that is not true. They don't see reality as it is, right? That's why you should not drink and drive. By the way, when I was younger, I always used to wonder, what, what's wrong with drinking and driving? I thought it was just like soda or something like that. I was confused. But, but, but the reason why you can't drink and drive is because it, it appears your judgment. I, was really, I, I still remember this, rest of this day. Um, but it, because it, it impairs your judgment, right? And so God is saying, look, they're wine. And, and he used that wine as an example to say, look, look, their judgment is impaired. They think that everything is right right now. They think that everything is going well right now. And they're seeing, that they're, they're, they're seeing themselves as successful. They don't see their end. They don't see reality for what it really is. By the way, there's many people in this world that do not see reality as it is. And that is why us Christians, we're called to bring truth to people. We're called to explain to people what the reality is. That there is a heaven, that there is a hell, that there is an impending judgment. That their realities. The wine, I'm sorry, was a traitor. Number five, I mean also, um, verse five, he addresses their greed as well. It says, his greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. So what this, these people were greedy. They conquer a nation and they want to continue conquering more nations. They're, they're greedy. They want, they want more. They keep getting more and they, they want more. The more that they get, the more that they want. They're greedy. And it's like Sheol, death. 
Death has no ending. They have no ending in terms of what they want. They continue, they continue wanting. They continue wanting. They continue desiring. Never had enough, having enough. I think some of us could relate to the sin of greed. When we pray that God will give us something and then God gives us that thing and then we pray for more things, wealth, it's prayer. But when we want illicit things, when we want things that's not, that the Bible doesn't really say we could have, when we want more money, when we want to be climb the social ladder. Yes, it's, it's, it's 100% fine for us to continue wanting souls and continue praying and laboring for holiness in our lives. But there is a sense in which sometimes we're, we, we could be greedy for, for money, things that's not required of us. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 20 says, 27 says, whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. When he says unjust, he who is greedy, right? Follow me. He who is greedy for unjust gain. What does he mean by unjust? Unfair gain. This, this, this verse is speaking to those who want who, who, who want to gain or acquire wealth unjustly. How do you acquire wealth unjustly? Sex trafficking, drugs, theft, abortion. There's a lot of money to be made in the abortion industry. They are greedy for unjust gain. So God addresses their greed. This nation had, and they wanted more. So what's the purpose of me highlighting the, this? Why did I feel that it was important for me to explain that God knew everything? Okay? Why is it important that I highlighted the description of their sins? I want you to be reminded, friends. I want you to be reminded. It will do you well to recognize that there is nothing, nothing that escapes the knowledge of God. He knows every sin committed, past, present, and future. He knows the sins of Hitler and Joseph Stalin. He knows not only the, the sins on, on a massive scale. He knows the secret sins that we commit. God knows it all. And if you're going to deal with a judge, you might as well deal with the judge that knows everything. There are many times in this world, in this present world, where, where an innocent will go to jail. Or the guilty will be pardoned for no pardon or, or excused. But nothing escapes God's knowledge. He knows it all. If you came to the, to the Doctrine of God class, some of you might remember this. Some of you might remember that we explain that God sees everything. 
past, present, and future equally vividly. What do I mean by that? For you and I, we actually have to rely on our memories to remember things. And it's kind of phasey when we remember it. It's kind of fuzzy. We're like, okay, I think I remember this happened, you know, three weeks ago. But God sees everything. The same way in which you and I see presently, I can see you and you can see me. God sees everything, past, present, and future, equally vividly. As much as I can see Daniel right now, God sees things 500 years, 5,000 years ago, 6,000 years ago, as vividly as I can see right now. Past, present, and future. Friends, there's nothing that escapes the knowledge of God. God knows all sins committed. God knows all sins committed. It doesn't matter how long ago the sin was committed. It doesn't fade from God's mind. Now, with that, I want you to be reminded, Christians, I want you to be reminded of this truth. That when you repent of your sins, God is not going to be surprised. (gasps) You did it? God is not shocked by your confession of your sins. Confessing is only acknowledging what God has already known. God just wants you to say it. God sees everything equally vividly. But second of all, let's think about... Babylon's impending judgment. Babylon's impending judgment. Verse 7. I mean, there's a lot of passages that highlight this, but let's go to a few verses. Um, Verse 7. It says, Will not your debtors suddenly arise, and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Uh, Verse 8. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnants of the people shall do what? Shall plunder you. Verse 10, you have devised shame for your house by cutting off many people. You have, what? Forfeited your life. And then he gives us, he, he, he continues a series of woes. He'll say, um, woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on an, in iniquity. Woe to him who makes his neighbor drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. The cup is in the Lord's right hand and will come around to you. Whenever the Bible says the cup, not every time, but many times when the Bible uses cup, it's a, symbol, it's a symbolism. It's, 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 it's symbolic for his wrath, anger. So when he says that I will make the nations drink this cup, basically he's saying, look, I am going to make the people drink my wrath. I'm going to show them my anger. This gives us a helpful, this, 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 it's helpful when we're thinking and we move and we fast forward to the Garden of Gethsemane, right? When Jesus Christ says, Father, Father, if it be your will, please remove this cup from me. He understands that he is about to face the wrath of God on your behalf. 
So basically what God is saying in these passages is this. Everything that you did to others, it will be done to you. You've plundered the nations, you will be plundered. You've made the nations drink your wrath, you will have, verse 16, you will have your fill of shame instead of glory. And you will drink yourself also. Basically he's saying this, look, the same thing that you did to others, it will be done to you. You will face my wrath. You will face my anger. Genesis 18 verse 25 says, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? God not only knows all sins committed, but God judges accordingly. Okay? God does not only know all sins committed, but he judges accordingly. Look, I know that many people, including myself, I used to believe this, believe that, well, all sins are the same, you know? I mean, if you murder and if you lie, it's the same thing before God's eyes. I know, I used to believe that myself too. I used to use passages to prove that, to prove that logic. I don't think that's true. I believe that God knows every single sin that we commit. I believe God knows the gravity of the sins committed. Yes, it's true. All sin is sin before God's eyes. Yes, if you break the one law, you break all. Yes, 100% true. But God knows the sins that you've committed, how intentional it was, the motive behind it, Everything. Okay? And when the nations are before him, God will judge accordingly. Each man according to what he has done to the righteous and to the sinner. Now look, why is it reason, why is this um, a cause for celebration? It's a cause for celebration and a cause to tremble that God will be just. Number one, it's a cause to celebrate. I mentioned earlier about Adolf Hitler. Now, everybody here knows Adolf Hitler, right? We all know Adolf Hitler, who killed hundreds of thousands of Jews. I'm probably underestimating it. Some of them Many of them, they went in concentration camps, split mothers and children, cut their hair off. Sometimes he would do experiments with people to see if whether or not their eye could change color. He'll use Clorox bleach in their eyes. I mean, it was torturous, it was pretty bad. Isn't it a cause for celebration when you recognize that people will be held accountable for their actions? What if we didn't have a just God? What if we had a God who did not care about justice, who didn't care about doing right? Oh, Hitler, okay, you can go, you're good. We cool. 
Yeah, that, but that was on the earth, and we're here, we're heaven now. Come on. Isn't it exciting for us to know that the God that I'm dealing with is not a God who is unjust? The God that you are dealing with will make the wrong right. But it's also a cause for great fear. Because if you hear this, you're probably like, wait a minute, God knows my sins. God knows what I've done. God knows everything. And he will judge me accordingly? I'm scared. Well, that's the reason that we have the gospel. That's what makes the gospel the gospel. That's what makes the gospel the good news. It's good news because God knows everything that you did. But instead of punishing you, God said, I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, on on their behalf. And instead of punishing you, I'm going to take all that sin that you've committed. I'm going to take all of those sins, those filthy sins, and I'm going to put it on my son, and my son is going to pay the price. And my son is going to rise up to life again, saying, victory. And for those who never understood that, the only way in which you could be saved, the only way that you can be saved from God's anger, from his wrath, is to place your faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. And once you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Yes, it's much, you, you, yes, yes, you should fear because God knows everything. But in some ways you should say, that should make you cling to Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. And for those of us who are Christians, I want you to constantly be reminded that your righteousness is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Yes, you might have sinned this weekend. Yes. I have too. But the basis of God saying you are right is not by, oh, I'm going to try to be a better person for the next four days and then I'm going to repent. No. It's by trusting in Jesus Christ and him alone. Lastly, I want us to consider something passage says my last point is the righteous shall live by faith let's find this verse 4 it says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. And then it says, But the righteous shall live by faith. Where did that come from? He's describing the sins of the arrogant, of the proud Babylonians. And then all of a sudden, it's just, it's just like he says, The righteous shall live by faith. And then he continues going on and describing the sins of the Babylonians. Where, what, where is that coming from? What is he doing? Well, I think he's making a contrast here. Okay? The sins of the Babylonians, one of the sins is pride that they had, right? 
They were arrogant. They looked at themselves and they said, wow, I am doing well for myself. I'm doing great. Praise God. God loves us. Whatever, whatever. We are, we are, we are conquering nations. We are killing people. We're doing good. They were proud and they were arrogant. And if you and I were to see them, we would say they are doing well and we are not doing well. Okay? But what God wants you to remember, it is by faith that you're living, not by sight. Because if we're living by sight, then we have great reason to be sad. If we're living by sight, we're, we, have, we have every reason to say, God, the, right, the, the wicked are doing well and the righteous, they're just suffering and this is it. No, it says the righteous shall live by faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Because the righteous are not going to experience physical blessings at this moment. The righteous will soon experience blessings. But for now, they must have faith. For now, they must trust in me. For now, they might see everything going wrong. And yes, I want them to cry out to me. And yes, I will respond to them. But in the midst of them crying out to me, I want them to have faith. I want them to be reminded that there is an ending to this. That I know what I'm doing and one day I will make things right. Do not follow the wicked. Do not follow the, follow the drunkards. Do not follow those people because they are living by sight. They're seeing their temporary, uh, they're, they're looking at their temporal happiness. But you live by faith. You need to breathe by faith. ESV commentary says this, the kind of faith that Habakkuk describes and that the New Testament authors promotes is continuing trust in God and, change, and, and, and clinging to God's promises even in the midst of the dark days. Friends, I want to ask you a question. Are you clinging to God's promises in the midst of your dark days? Are you hanging on to truth in the midst of your dark days? Or are you believing in your changing circumstances? When things go wrong, are you just going, and when things go down, things are spiraling down, downwards, are you spiraling down, downwards along with it? Or are you clinging on and hanging on and saying, God, I'm going to, I know, Lord, it just seems, everything just seems like it's just falling apart, and I'm just going to hang on to this thing called your word. Yes, Lord, things are just going crazy in my life right now. But I'm just going to hang on to your word. I want to have, I'd only have one word of application for you. One word. Wait. Wait. The hardest thing for a Christian to do is wait. 
Sometimes the Bible calls us to fight. Sometimes the Bible calls us to wage war against the enemy. But many times, I don't know if you knew this, one summer I was just reading the Bible, reading through the book of Psalms, I was so surprised at how many times the Bible uses the word wait. 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 It's not coming. Yeah, I know. I know. It's not, you're not going to see victory yet. You don't see things, when you look at, your, when you look at the world, you're just, you have every reason to cry out to God. And I tell you, continue crying out to God. Continue crying out to God. But in your crying out, continue waiting. Isaiah 40, 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strengths. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Psalm 27, 13 and 14. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Hear this. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Do you know that it's, you have to be strong to wait for the Lord? Lamentation 3 verse 25. The Lord is good to those who do what? The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him. James 5, 7 to 8. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. I can go on and on and on. The Bible, many times, many places, calls us to wait. Yeah, it's true. We see a lot of injustice in this world. But if you read Habakkuk 2, and you begin um, from verses 2 to 3, he says exactly this to Habakkuk. Before he tells him, he says this, Write the vision, make it plain on ta tablets, so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Wait for the Lord. I want you, as we're going through the book of Habakkuk, I want you to consider these things that we've been saying. Number one, I want you to cry out to God 100%. I want us all to cry out to God 100%. I want you to be reminded of the fact that God does listen to the cries of his saints. I want you to hang on to that fact. And I want you to be reminded that there are going to be times and seasons in which you're going to pray once and God's just going to answer like that automatically. There's going to be times where even before the words come out your lips, God's just going to answer. And you're going to be like, wow, praise God. But I want you to also, while you're crying out to God, to be reminded. As you're saying, how long, O oh Lord? I want you to be reminded to wait on the Lord. 
to wait on the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I, I, I just pray, Lord, that you will please help each and every one of us to learn what it means to wait. Lord, we know that we see a lot of injustice in this world, and God, we want to change things. And yes, God, we, we, we pray that we will do we will, tr we will try our best to change things, God, and we will try our best to cry out to you, O Lord. But God, I pray that you would help us to learn that you are the one who brings judgment, that you are the one who does right. Lord, let us just be reminded of this truth. Help us, God. I, I, I just pray that you would help us. In Jesus' name, amen.